morning. It's great to be here. Great to see all you folks here. So, um, you may not realize it, but you know Rosie Schrader. Where's Rosie? There she is. She called me up. She said, uh, I'd like to have you sing a Christmas carol. Well, Rosie is actually my cousin. Do people know that? I don't think they do that. Rosie is my cousin. So I'd be happy to do that.
for that music so As mentioned, my name is Glenn. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the Pathfinder Coordinator for Wisconsin Conference. It's a job we made up a couple years ago, so I've been having fun doing it and making up the, the job descriptions as we go along. Um, this is a sermon. You can turn this. Oh, there you go. Can you hear me now? Can you hear? You guys can hear me? Good. So this is a... Uh, uh, one thing, like I said, in Pathfinders, one thing we do is, well, first of all, what is Pathfinders? Pathfinders is, a lot of people might say it's like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, only it's a combination of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Well, that's kind of true. Uh, I would tell you that there is a, a huge difference in the fact that we have an ulterior motive. Um, we're not just trying to make kids better citizens for this country. We're trying to make our kids better citizens for the kingdom. We... Um, I want to make sure that they get to the kingdom, and when they get there, they, they really belong there and, and will enjoy it. So everything we do has an ulterior motive. I, I will say that up front. There is, uh, as, you, as you know, Boy Scouts may have uh, badges that they earn. We have something we call honors. And like I said, since we have an ulterior motive, we have a whole section of honors that's, um, there we go. There you go. This is, a, this is an honor we call the Peacemakers. It was uh, developed in 2009. Uh, we have, so Outreach Ministries is what we call this section. So uh, they asked how many times I taught this honor during the sermon, and I, I was up here counting. I think this is the eighth time I've done this. And folks have really told me that they enjoy it, and I've had some people tell me that it's therapeutic. So you don't have to be a pathfinder to earn this honor. And in fact, I would encourage you, uh, you if you don't have a worksheet, Raise your hand. Uh, we're going to see if we can get, there's at least a lady in the back, if you could get that lady a worksheet. Uh, if you don't have something to write with, raise your hand. We have some extra pens, I understand. So everybody's got a worksheet and a pen. Wonderful. So if you complete this honor, I, again, I really encourage you to do it. People have told me that, that it is therapeutic uh, to go through that process, even if you don't want to get the honor. But if you do want the little patch, if you see Miss Becky, there's somebody over here that wants one. Gentlemen, yeah. So uh, 
if you do want to actually get the little patch, I'm sure Miss Becky would be more than happy to order you one with a nice healthy donation for Pathfinders, right? All right. Okay. Everybody, we are all set then. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, are there any teachers in the, in the crowd tonight? Okay, there's a teacher. What's your name, sir? Jim. Teacher Jim, I'm going to tell you that this is not a classroom, okay? So I'm allowing people to copy off of each other, and you're not going to flunk them, okay? <laughs> All right. So you're welcome to fill this out any way you like, but I'm going to show you how I filled out my worksheet, and you're welcome to copy off of my worksheet, okay? So just remember that. I'm not going to flunk anybody. All right. If I were to ask you what conflict is, what would you say conflict is? Yell out some answers. Arguments, disagreements, what else? Violent. Violence, yeah. Okay, so you would have what, what I have. I have a very cheap dictionary. And the cheap dictionaries have, have things like this. A fight, battle, struggle, or especially a prolonged struggle or strife. So um, we didn't officially declare war in Vietnam, and I don't think they officially declared war in Ukraine, so Union, but we call those conflicts, the Vietnam conflict. Don't get me wrong, they use real bullets, people die, they have enemies. It, it looks and tastes like a war, but, but they call it a conflict because it's, it's um, um, they don't want to call it a war. They, conflict sounds nicer, but it is a war. A controversy, quarrel, conflicts between parties. You may think political parties. You know, there's always a conflict between the Republicans and Democrats. I think we can all appreciate that, right? Discord of action, feeling or effect, antagonism or opposition of interest or principles, a conflict of ideas. Um, sometimes we have religious conflicts. I'm sure you have conflicts at your church board meetings or how the style of worship or something like that. You know, you have those kinds of conflicts, different ideas. A striking together collision. When I drove here this morning from Milwaukee, it took me some three hours and I passed several conflicts. Uh, in fact, they, allowed, they made us get off the, the highway one, at one point and take a detour because there apparently was a bad conflict up ahead. And in that detour, we saw other people that had conflicts with each other and a conflict with the, with the power pole. Hope they're, and pray they're okay. But, but we do have conflicts like that. Um, incompatibility or interference is one idea, desire, or event, a conflict in the schedule. So if you want to meet with me Thursday at 9 a.m., I would tell you, I'd look at my Outlook calendar, and I would say, I have a conflict at that time. Psychiatry, a mental dis uh, struggle, if you can't read this, uh, struggle from arising opposing demands or impulses. People that have psychological issues, we, sometimes we say they have conflicts in their head, you know, um, uh, demons inside, if you will, that, that they are struggling with. So those are what I call the cheap dictionary things of conflict. But this honor tries to tell you that there's really two kinds of conflicts. So there's a bad conflict versus a good conflict. And it's, it's tough to realize that. But once you realize that, it's, it really starts to make sense on a lot of different things. So there's the bad conflict that you all pointed out. It's called the catabolic conflict. So catabolic conflict is bad conflict. Okay, this is the first thing you write on your, on your sheet. Catabolic conflict is, is a bad conflict. So you can read the definition there. But this is basically, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're into... Um, you know, dieting and so forth, you, you're probably familiar with this term because it basically means to tear down. So, you know, we have cells that tear down carbohydrates and what have you, the, the various nutrients that they tear it down. 
catabolic is, is a term used in some of the dieting terms that you might hear. The other kind of conflict that we're really going to open our eyes today and learn about is called the anabolic conflict. Anabolic uh, is also a biology term. You may have heard of anabolic steroids. I'm not going to say anabolic steroids are great, but the whole idea of anabolic steroids is that they build up your muscles, right? So there's an anabolic conflict where we actually build each other up. That's the whole point of that. So it's important to understand the, the, the bad conflict, which was catabolic, and the good conflict, which is uh, anabolic. Okay. So I'm going to caution you right here. These next few slides... I'm going to talk about politics, okay? Now, I'm a firm believer that the pulpit should not be used to tell people how to vote, how to, how to do anything. This pulpit should only be used to bring people to Christ, but it is a good example because everybody knows what we're talking about and can see some examples. So do not take any of these next few slides as an indication I'm telling you you're good because you vote a certain way or bad because you vote for a certain way. I work in city government most of my career, I've worked with wonderful Democrats. I've worked with wonderful Republicans. I get how people vote and how they, they're in their various camps. I, I understand that, okay? If you can't handle that, just, just cover your ears, tuck your head down, and we'll tap you when, this, when these are over. But, but I want to I do this so that we can uh, at least talk about a, a current example. Here's an example. Anybody recognize this? This was uh, not this past election, but the one previous to it. Um, this was during the presidential debates, uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. Was this an anabolic or catabolic conflict? Catabolic, right. You know, they were constantly tearing each other down. One of my favorite questions in these debates was, hey, people are saying a lot of bad things about each of you. Can you say something good about each other? Both of them really struggled to do it. It was, it was really kind of funny to hear the responses. And you know what? They weren't alone. I think this was probably the first time in American history we had something very unique in our presidential politics. In the past, when we would go to the polls as, as voters, we would typically look at one candidate and the other candidate say, I like this one, I like this one, but you know, I like this candidate much better. So um, uh, the whole idea is, is that, you know... Um, uh, we liked Mitt Romney, we liked John McCain, but as a society, we decided that we liked Obama better. Prior to that, most people thought John Kerry was a good guy, Al Gore was a good guy, but we liked George Bush better. You know, before that, Bob Dole, great guy. You know, who, who would not like Bob Dole, but we, we chose Clinton instead. So th that's typically how all the, and, and sometimes they were almost landslide elections, but that's typically how we voted in the past. This election was different in the fact that there was a poll out that said more than half the people, when they, you know, 50%, more than 50% hated both candidates. So what happened was we went to the polls and we said, I don't like this person, I don't like that person, which person do I hate the least? And that's, that's how we voted for we voted. I tried to find the same results on this past election. I, would suggest, I couldn't find them, but I would suggest to you that that trend probably happened. I'm hoping that can change, but it's, it's not a good trend. So the next one. Anybody know what this is? This was the, uh, the cabinet for uh, our current president. Um, so when you look at this picture, do you think that, uh, that we have catabolic or anabolic conflicts in this group? Catabolic? Anybody suggest ideas? I don't know. I've never been invited to the president's cabinet meeting, so I can't tell you. 
Um, but what I can tell you, I hope that there's a lot of conflict. I hope that it's anabolic conflict, because what you don't want to have happen is what happened in this picture. Does anybody recognize this picture, people in this picture? John Kennedy, yeah. So for you Pathfinders that haven't had history yet, John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy was the president um, way back in the early 1960s. And if you ask most Americans who's, you know, name your top presidents, John F. Kennedy is probably somewhere on most people's list, uh, which was kind of odd. And was, it's not odd because, I mean, he, uh, he willed us to the moon. That's a great idea. He, he did a lot of good things for civil rights, got those things started. That's a good thing. So he did a lot of good things. But what's odd is the fact when he was alive, he was not very well liked. His poll ratings were so low when they, I don't, I don't know when they started keeping these, these special polls, but his poll ratings were so low that he was, he was not going to get reelected the next time. Uh, that's why he was in uh, Dallas when he was. That's, uh, if you read all the history books that I've read, uh, Secret Service says that they begged him not to do the open car and all that sort of thing, but he was in full-blown campaign mode. He said he was out there because his, his approval rating was so low. I'm not going to go into all of it. If you want to learn more, you can go home and Google, you know, um, uh, invasion of Cuba, Bay of Pigs, uh, Vietnam. He's the guy who really first started sending troops there. So I'm not going to get into whether you like him or don't like him. I'm just going to say that his approval ratings were so low, which was, um, and the reason, but the history books also says something. It's not his fault. I mean, it might be his fault because he, he picked his cabinet, but his cabinet is kind of famously known for being yes men. Yes, Mr. President. Great idea, Mr. President. When in reality, he should have said, you know, Mr. President, are you sure it's a good idea to invade Cuba? You know? He should have had people step up and ask the questions. And he didn't have those people around him. They basically said, yes, yes. They should have, they should have challenged him. They should have had anabolic conflict. They should have challenged him to build him up and, and make him a, a better president when he was here. Okay. So if your neighbor is, has their head uh, ducked down, you can tap them and tell it's safe to come up now. As soon as I can advance the slide. There we go. All right. Okay, so now we're going to go back to more ancient times, Bible times. The, uh, uh, in the honor, it asks us to look at some stories in the Bible. And it, it uh, wants to know, uh, to illustrate catabolic conflict, and it has to illustrate anabolic conflict. So here's a story. We're not going to look each of these up, but the but the texts are up here, and you can look them up when you get home if you want to learn more about them. But Acts 15, 1 through 12, what's that a story about? This is a story about, um, we, we tend to call it the Jerusalem Council. This is where the early church had a bunch of converts, and things were going great. And some of the old, old church came down there and said, you know what, these Christians aren't good enough. They're not being Jewish enough. And so they got people talking, and, and they basically had some anabolic, or I'm sorry, they had some catabolic conflict. So verse, um, how does the story illustrate catabolic conflict? I wrote, um, this is when the, uh, uh, the old church said you must be Jewish, you know, need to be more Jewish. So they started, started the, the discussions and, and so forth. So how does the story illustrate anabolic conflict? In verse 6, the apostles and elders met to discuss and talked about the issue. So they actually said, okay, you know what? We've got all these people arguing about what you're, what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about it. And, and so they talked about it. And they said, God knows the heart. 
you know, God knows the heart, and they basically got together and talked about it. I'm sure they, they did a lot of praying together, and it was, a, it was a good result when all was said and done. So that was a situation where it started out with a cannibalic conflict, and they were able to talk about it, and they turned that into anabolic conflict. They built each other up. All right. The next one we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. This is a story that actually I don't like, and I'll tell you why I don't like it. This is a story that talks about parts of the body and how we you know, should be parts of the church. The reason why I really haven't liked this story much, once upon a time, there was a deacon in one of my previous churches that said, I'm here to, you know, fix things around the church that need fixed. That's all I'm going to do. You know, he, he saw that as his, his one and only role to do. If I read this story, I, I wish Paul would have actually expanded this a little bit and says, you know what, he really wants us all to grow. We all have our own role to do, but he does, God does aspire us to continue our growth chart, and we can, we can do other things in church. We're not, we're not pigeonholed in one specific thing. But, but here's a story about conflict. So how is catabolic conflict illustrating this story? Uh, you're going to read about the foot and the hand, the ear wants to be an eye, and then, you know, basically, you have to understand other people are doing their thing. And you can't say, we can, we can do without the hand, or we can do without the eye. On the other hand, um, on the other hand, uh, you know, the, the eye says to the hand, you know, I don't need you. That's, that's definitely a catabolic issue, and, and that's not something we should do as a church. But how does this passage illustrate anabolic conflict? I would tell you that in verse 25, um, it says equal concerns for each other's. We should rejoice together. So if you think about the church ministries, I've seen this several times in, in church boards. Somebody will have a special ministry, and maybe they don't get enough people to come help them do whatever they want to do. And they get mad about it. And they said, how come you're not, you know, you're not doing your share, you're not doing your part? Let me tell you something. My ministry is Pathfinders, something I love to do, something I'm involved in, and so forth. If you want to come help me in Pathfinders, awesome. I appreciate all the help you can give me. However, if your specialty is, is music, is you know, feeding the homeless, or whatever the issue, I shouldn't be mad about that. I should applaud you in whatever you're doing, because our church can be all things to all people if we have all people doing all things. And, uh, but if, if there's something that's passionate to me, you should, you should be glad that I'm doing that. You shouldn't be mad because I'm not taking time out of my passion to help you with your passion. So that's, I think, is what the story is trying to say here, is that um, that's a way we can turn the catabolic conflict into an anabolic conflict. You know, we can, we can get mad because we, you know, don't need that person or this person or that role or whatever, but we should, we should understand that we need all the roles in the church to, to function nicely. Okay. The next story the Bible talks about is Genesis 13. This is a story about Abram and Lot. This is a story where their uh, shepherds, the catabolic conflict happened because their households, they were arguing. They had too many people with too many sheep, too, too little of a land, and they were fighting with each other. They were getting in each other's way. They didn't have enough grass to go around. And after being in the Holy Land, I understand there's not a lot of grass to go around over there. Um, so verse 7, that was quarreling between camps. It was just too crowded. So how does this story uh, illustrate anabolic conflict? I would submit to you in verse 9. Basically, this is the negotiation where Abram went to Lot, and he basically said, look, 
you go left and I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. You know, you, you take first pick. I'll, I'll take whatever's left over kind of thing. You know, uh, since Abraham was, was did a negotiation, um, that, that basically solved that issue. I think Lot was probably sorry later on that he picked the side that he did. But regardless, that at least solved the conflict between Abram and Lot. And uh, it was a way to turn catabolic conflict into anabolic conflict. So with this next, next question, I'm going to ask Ian to come up and help us. The question is, what does James 4, 1 through 3, say about catabolic conflict? Ian, you want to come up and read that for us? Turn this mic on for him. Where do you suppose the arguments and fights among you come from? Don't they start with from selfishness? You want certain things and you can't have them. You want your own way and you can't get it. So you argue and fight with such anger that you would could kill to get what you want. Have you ever thought about talking to God about it? But God won't give you everything you will ask for because you want it for selfish reasons. Don't you know that loving the things and pleasures of this world is like hating God? He who befriends the world makes him a self-enemy of you, of God. So, Ian, since you read that for us, can you answer the question as to what the root cause of catabolic conflict is? Anger and selfishness. Yeah, evil, selfish desires is what it says. So, anger and selfishness. So, I'm going to, got an illustration. My wife is not going to appreciate that I'm going to tell this, so I'm not even going to look at her when I say this. Uh, last night, when I was preparing to give the sermon... I was going to find all my materials, and I couldn't find a lot of my handouts and my notes and so forth, and my wife had cleaned up a few months ago. When she cleans up, she tends to put things in boxes and stick them here and there, and I can't find them, and I have to admit, my blood pressure was, was a little high. I, I'm going to say that, and so as I was, basically, I had to start my notes from scratch, so I was writing these down, and as I got down to this one, evil and selfish desire. So I, I knew that I was in a conflict right then. Because of my feelings, I was, you know, I can't believe this, you know, one of those kinds of evenings and everything. And I got down to this one, evil and selfish desires. How am I being selfish? You know, it went from can't blame my wife because she did this and this and this and caused me to have to do da 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 and realize that, you know, maybe I was a little selfish in the fact. Maybe I didn't keep my desk as tidy as she won when her friend came over and and so maybe I forced her to, to maybe clean up more than she should have. If I would have been maybe more courteous, I could have put it away where I would have found it later and, and so forth. So, but it, it did. It did. When, I, when I realized that and read that verse again, it, it really lowered my blood pressure. I'm sure it did. I didn't take my blood pressure before and after, but it, I just felt the peace come over me. And I would suggest to you that when you feel yourself... And we all know when that happens, right? You feel your blood pressure start to go up. You start to, you know, you're get jittery, if you will, or just you, you're not thinking straight, think about how is it really your fault, too? It's not just the other person's fault. There's, it takes two people to argue and have a conflict in the catabolic conflict. How can you think about that? How can you realize that, really, you know what? It's on me, too, and, and I need to think about that and uh, selfish desires. So once you realize it's a lot of it's rooted in selfish desires and evil, it, it really does calm you down. I still had to redo my notes, but uh, 
it, it was helpful, at least to me last night, and I'll, I'll share that with you. I'm sure we'll talk about this on the three-hour ride home today, too. Um, so the honor talks about, oh, we already did that. The honor talks about a book, basically centers around this book. It's called uh, The Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. If you haven't heard of this book, uh, it talks about some, a concept called the slippery slope. And I've had uh, families after the sermon tell me that they actually took this and used it for their devotions and really got a lot of use out of it. So if it interests you, that may be something worth checking out. But here's the whole idea of the, of the slippery slope. It basically, imagine it has all these things like suicide, flight, denial, murder, uh, litigation, assault. You know, those are catabolic conflicts. It has the catabolic conflicts down the end. In the middle is the anabolic conflicts. These are parts where we build each other up. And so the whole idea is our goal is to be right on top of this mountain. Anybody ever played King of the Mountain when you are a kid where you try to you know, push off the other kid and maybe at the big, top of the big snow pile or whatever, you know, and you know, if you're king of the mountain, you're the one on top, but if you fall off, you know, that's, that's a bad thing. The book tries to make the case that being on top is where God wants us to be. When you start falling off of that center, when you start going off to the other side, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's called a slippery slope because you start falling, and it's harder to get back up. The further you go down, the more effort it takes to get back to that center. And we should pray that we always try to stay in the center of that. So we're going to read these, and it'll take a little while to write these down. If you, if you don't get them all, that's fine. You can, again, you can copy off my paper. But we, over on the left, we have the escape responses. So the escape responses, and you write these down, at the very extreme is suicide, S-U-I-C-I-D-E, suicide. We have flight, F-L-I-G-H-T, and we have denial, D-E-N-I-A-L. Those are all catabolic where you're tearing each other down, okay? Those are what we call escape responses. On the other extreme, we have the attack responses. What, what, and again, I would call these catabolic also. The attack responses are murder, M-U-R-D-E-R. We have litigation, L-I-T-I-G-A-T-I-O-N. And we have assault, A-S-S-A-U-L-T. So those are attacking. So notice we have escaping over on the left, and we have attacking on the right, okay? And the peacemaking responses, these are where we should strive to be. We should make sure that all of our responses are on the anabolic section called the peacemaking responses. So I'm going to read these off to you also. We have overlook, O-V-E-R-L-O-O-K. We have reconciliation. You can put recon, R-E-C-O-N, but you can finish it out, R-E-C-O-N, C-I-L-L-A-T-I-O-N. We have negotiation, N-E-G-O-T-I-A-T-I-O-N, negotiation. And again, write these down. So when you, if you think about, you know, I need to get back in the anabolic responses, you can look and see what the anabolic versus catabolic responses are. Make sure you're in the anabolic ones. Mediation, M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N. We have arbitration. A-R-B-I-T-R-A-T-I-O-N. And last one is accountability. A-C-C-O-U-N-T-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. You can abbreviate these however you want, as long as you know what you, what you meant when you wrote it down. But those are the peacemaking responses, and that's where we really need to be. <clears throat> so we're going to jump back and forth from here to the next slide. But 
the honor wants us to realize the trends, so it's important to point out the trends in this, okay? So notice that the trends go from slippery, so slippery slope trends, goes from private to public, okay? Private to public. So notice on the very end, suicide is a very much a private thing. It's a me. It's all about me. I'm going to commit suicide. The other extreme, you have murder. That's something I'm going to do to you, okay? That goes from private to public, from me to you, all right? So it also goes from voluntary to force, F-O-R-C-E-D, voluntary to force. So flight, something I can, okay, I'm just going to run away. I'm just going to escape, okay? That's voluntary, something I'm doing voluntarily versus over here, litigation. You're required to do that. You're under litigation. They're going to make you sit in a room, and you're going to, you know, it's a court proceeding kind of thing. All right? So, that, again, it's voluntary to forced. And then it also goes from defensive to antagonistic, A-N-T-A-G-O-N-I-S-T-I-C. So antagonistic or defensive would be denial. No, uh not me. Nope. It's kind of defensive. Versus antagonistic versus assault. I'm coming after you, okay? You understand the difference? Antagonistic versus, or defensive versus antagonistic. So it's I'm trying to protect myself versus I'm trying to go after you, okay? Also, it goes, uh, the extreme responses have the greater loss. So on the very, very end, suicide and murder, that's, that's a permanent thing. That, that's, you know, death. That's done. Game over, you know? Versus some of the assault versus denial, they're really bad, but, you know, you can live to fight another day, so to speak. Okay? Um, notice that the end focus is on me to you. So, again, these escape responses are all focused on me, and the attack responses are all focused on you. Something I'm doing to me versus something I'm doing to you. And as you go through the peacemaking responses, again, it goes from me to you kind of responses. And the middle focus is definitely on us. Middle focus is on us. Okay? So negotiation, mediation, you know, we're doing this together. We're trying to come to uh, something we can both live with in, in, our, in, our, response, in our difficulties. Okay? All right. All right, and if you don't get these, you can contact me afterwards, or you're even welcome to copy off your neighbor's sheet, okay? So hopefully everybody got all those. All right, so that's, that's overall understanding. If, if that interests you, I would recommend you go read the book. I did not order that book. I, I did read the first chapter um, online. You can read it online. It, it's appeared to be good, but the book I bought, which I would have brought if I could have found my stuff last night, was, was The Young Peacemaker, and this is wrote, written by uh, Ken Sandy's wife. Um, she simplified it, made it for kids, and Pathfinder ages, if you will, but it's good for all of us. So they simplified it. So the escape, attack, work it out, you know, basically has, again, the, the catabolic versus anabolic uh, areas. You know, we're not talking about murder and suicide, but we do talk about runaway, blame, game, and deny. Those are the escape ones, and we're going to go through these. The attack is fight, gossip, and put-downs. And the workout is overlook, talk, and get help. So I will tell you that there are 3,237 people in the Bible. How do I know this? Because I read on the Internet. I believe everything I read on the Internet, okay? All right. So the cool thing about the Bible is we don't just have to come to look at modern examples because 
politics tends to get us all you know, upset sometimes. But we can look in the Bible and we can see the examples that they led. Good examples, bad examples, everybody's an example, right? Everyone had conflicts. And of those 3,237, I know that only one of those persons was perfect. And that one perfect person had conflict like you wouldn't believe. Absolutely serious conflict. Um, so it's, it's amazing when people think, I can just go through life and I shouldn't have any conflict. When something happens in their life and they conflict and they, oh, then they think, you know, something's horrible. Every single person, because you live on the sinful earth, we all have conflicts, okay? The idea that we're going to learn today in this sermon is to realize when we are in those conflict situations. And we want to try to make sure we, we stay in the anabolic part of that chart instead of falling down the slippery slope and we get to the catabolic, okay? So what this honor asks us to do is to give a biblical example of each one of these categories and, and try to think of a biblical example. And again, you're welcome to copy off my page, okay? I'm going to tell you the examples I thought of in the Bible. There's, there's plenty of examples out there. Again, there's 3,237 people that could give us good examples and bad examples of various issues. But I'm going to tell you the ones I thought of. If you can think of some others, give yourself a pat on the back, attaboys, or whatever you, you makes you feel good. But again, you're welcome to copy off of me. The second part of the, the, the question that the honor makes us do is give a personal example when that has happened to you. When have you been in these situations? This is one part that you cannot copy off of me because I'm looking out and none of you are me. So I'm going to tell you about parts in my life where I've experienced or people you know have experienced in all these different categories, okay? So it'll be up to you. Again, you're welcome to copy off that first part about the Bible example, but when it comes to your personal one, you'll have to think about when that has happened to you. Okay. First category, we're going to talk about the escape. So the escape is this far left-hand side. Denial. When do you recall a story about denial? I think about a story, um, and again, you can look this up when you get home. I'm not going to look up each one here. In 1 Samuel 2, where Eli, um, basically the story goes is that Eli was a high priest. His kids were doing some stuff that, not very good, not very nice. Actually, some really bad stuff. They were doing some really bad stuff. What did Eli do? Yeah, kind of ignored it. Didn't, kind of denied it, if you will. He just kind of buried his head in the sand, we might say. And you can look and see how it turned out for Eli. It did not turn out very well uh, because he did denial. And when that happened, uh, again, life did not turn out very well for Eli. You can read the story in, in 1 Samuel 2. So my personal example, um, I have employees where I work. It's amazing to me that Actually, it's not amazing. You know, somebody, somebody may say, hey, your employees, they're doing such and such. There's been some times I say, oh, okay, I'll, um, maybe they'll get better on their own. I'll just kind of ignore it. And, you know, I found out employees typically don't get better on their own unless, they're, unless you sit down and have a conversation with them, at least. if uh, Sometimes it might go further than that. But, uh, but when something comes up, you should always address it. You can't deny it. You, you know, face it forward and and uh, go ahead and do it. So that's, that's my personal example of a denial situation. The next question, escape. What about escape? So this is a st- the one I could think of is, is in Genesis 3, 
Um, I have a cheap version of the Bible. The Bible says something, my, my version says something like, God said, told Adam and Eve not to play football in the garden. And he came and lo and behold, they're playing football in the garden. And God's upset with them. And he points to Adam and says, what happened? And Adam says, it's, it's this woman's fault. In fact, Lord, it's your fault because you made this woman and put her here. And the woman says, not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. So it's one of those blame games. You know, they're always blaming somebody else for, for something that was going on. And you can read about that story in Genesis 3. I, I can tell you that, that story did not turn out very well either for, for Adam and Eve. It did not turn out very well because they were playing the blame game. My personal example. Um, so I, I mentioned a while ago I'm, I'm an engineer. I took a lot of math in college. But I can tell you my very first class in calculus, I flunked it. Why did I flunk it? had a bad teacher. That's why. Uh, it, you know, a lot of us in, in that class, we had to retake Calc 1, you know. It's, uh, but it took me several years to realize, you know, I probably had something to do with that. You know, I was playing the blame game, trying to blame somebody else for, for my bad experience. Next example. Escape. Again, we're, we're back in the, the catabolic conflict over here. The, it's a runaway. What? And give an example of a runaway. And I think that probably the classic one is Jonah. Here's a picture of the summer. We actually got to go. Uh, uh, they have a big sculpture actually on the south side of Tel Aviv they, where Jonah jumped on a ship. Uh, it's kind of cool. But uh, this is where Jonah, if you, haven't, if you don't recall the story in Jonah 1, basically God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to do something for some people that you don't like. He says, go, <clears throat> go preach to them. Do, do something for me. And Jonah says, I don't want to see those folks. I'm going to hop on a ship. I'm going to get away from there. I'm going as far away as I can. And again, you can read about how that turned out for Jonah. I would suggest to you that that was not a, not a good result because he decided to run away instead of you know, trying to do something in the middle of our chart. He ran away. Okay? So, okay. Next one. Uh, we're going to talk about the attack clause. So the attack, again... So we're still in the catabolic. These are over on the far right-hand side. Remember, this is where I'm, something, I'm doing something to you, the attack. It's, this attack is where you're more interested in winning than saving the relationship. You know, sometimes we, we want to uh, do something in this section of the chart, but then we, have, we really should step back and ask ourselves, is that really, do I really want to, to get rid of this relationship? So the first one, put-downs. One I thought of, and this is one of my heroes in the Bible, because he was a public works guy, Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah versus Sanballat, if, if you remember the story. Uh, you can find this in Nehemiah 4. And so, basically, uh, they're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so, uh, now keep in mind, these are pretty tame, but, but they would come and they make fun of the Jews. Oh, a stone's going to come to life, or... Hey, even a fox would tear that wall down, you know. Um, uh, you know, to be fair, they didn't have social media back then. And so, that, so their, their put-down game was, was pretty weak compared to what we have today. Um, as far as personal example, I, I uh, was thinking about yesterday. Uh, again, I'm, I work for City. I'm over the plow guys, one of my, my, my duties. And I was amazed. You know, I hopped on social media, looked on Facebook, and it's amazing. So just to, just to let you know what's going on. You know, we had a big snowfall yesterday. Um, they say you need to plow a truck for three years before you even feel comfortable doing it. 
and you need to plow one for 10 years before you really get good at it. You know, if you think about a, a big truck and everything there is to, to do with all those levers and everything to keep things, you know, a side wing and everything, trying to do all that, uh, over half of my crew is brand new this year. And we've had snowfalls in the middle of the day while they're trying to plow around traffic. Absolute crazy. It's amazing to me the things that people will say on Facebook to somebody they don't even know who, who, they're, who they're putting down. It's just... It's like they're waiting for ways to just jump on Facebook, social media, to put somebody down. It's just absolutely amazing. You wouldn't say that to somebody face-to-face. It's just, just crazy. I, it's one of, that was the example I thought of. So, again, you think about your examples. There is a attack. Another attack mode is, is gossiping. And Numbers 13 is the one I thought of. Numbers 13 is where um, um, basically the 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 spies, they went over to spy out the promised land. They came back to report how wonderful it was, and, you know, they're ready to take this over that God had delivered to them, so forth. But most of the group that came back, they were nervous, and so they started spreading gossip about. They basically, the Bible, my version says, they spread a bad report about the land. They exaggerated the size. They exaggerated everything. They got everybody whipped up into a frenzy and scared to even, you know, oh, there's no way we can go over and take the promised land. You know, that kind of thing. So, so that's the example I could think of. Personally, um, there was one time there was somebody that did something really, really bad to me. It, uh, you know, it's probably one of the worst things you could do to a person and hurt a lot. Um, I made sure I told everybody I could about what had happened, what this person had done. And it took me a few years to realize that just because it's true doesn't mean it's not still gossip. You know, that's, you really need to hold your tongue sometimes when somebody, if it's not in their business, they, it's not in their business. You know, why, why do they need to know that? But, uh, but the fact that I was going out spreading that was, you know, bad on me, shame on me. Um, that's, that's my personal example. So, um, attack, fight. I think of in Genesis 4, um, the Cain and Abel, this is the classic fight, you know, the very first murder. Um, I like what, what God told Cain when this is all over. He said, but if you did not do what is right, but if you, I'm sorry, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know, sometimes people might say, well, the devil made me do something. Well, the devil doesn't make you, he's there to tempt you. He's there crouching at your door. He doesn't make you do anything you don't want to do. God is telling Cain right here, you have power over what you do. You know, we say that you can't really affect or you can't help what happens to you, but you can help how you react to it. And the devil is going to cheer if you, if you, if you um, retaliate in one of the catabolic methods. But the whole idea is, is that we want to think about it and we want to make sure we retaliate, if you will, in a constructive method where we build each other up, and not, a, not an antagonistic situation. My personal example, fifth grade. That's all I'm going to say there. Work it out. Work it out. Overlook something. So, uh, commanded by God, empowered by the gospel, and I would suggest to you it's directed towards mutually agreeable solution. This is where we want to stay. So, up till now, we've been talking about catabolic responses. Those are the bad ways to do it, okay? These are the ways when something happens to us, when we're in that conflict, we need to think about where are we. We need to be in this category right here. So, work it out. It's called overlook. So the example I can think of of overlooking happened in John 8. 
This was a story where Jesus came upon a bunch of guys who were basically making a bunch of accusations about a woman, saying a bunch of things about her. Jesus overlooked that. Jesus overlooked it. And basically, he, he was able to get rid of the situation. And basically, he told the lady, he says, go and sin no more. You know, we always, we always hear, you know, we don't know what Jesus would say about the, whatever the sin du jour is, you know. We don't know what Jesus would say about that because he never really addressed that. You know, yeah, I do because he, he did some very similar things. He wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, uh, appreciate the sin, but he overlooked the sin. But then he would say, go and sin no more. He didn't say it wasn't a sin. He says, yeah, that, that's a sin. That's a sin. I know it's a sin. You know it's a sin. We all know it's a sin. But I tell you what, I'm going to overlook that. Your sin is forgiven, but go and sin no more. He had always finished, uh, at least several times in the New Testament when you read the stories, he would always finish with that phrase, go and sin no more. He would overlook it, though. My personal example, we have any parents in the audience? <laughs> um, you know, I think about when my kids were little. You know, kids say something. Sometimes they don't mean it. Sometimes they mean it. Uh, but you just have to overlook it. You know, you can't take everything that they say to you personally as far as, you know, well, I'm going to get even and they'll never forget. You know, you just have to overlook it, understand that they're in a growing process. I do that at work a lot. I'm um, learning this. I should have learned it better from my dad, but my dad was, the kind, he never said unkind about anything. He never responded bitterly to anybody. Uh, and uh, I wish I would learn more of that, but every time I've practiced that, I've been extremely thankful that I did that. When you just hold your tongue, you know, just overlook it. Because they'll come to you the next day or sometimes just a few hours later and act like they, never, they, didn't, they don't even remember what they did. You have to overlook that too, because if I were to carry that grudge, then life couldn't go on. So, so uh, that, that's my example. Um, let's see, the next one. The work it out tactic is talk about it. Just talk about it. I think about in 1 Samuel 25. This is a story where David had his bunch of men out there, and he says, you know, I need to feed my men. And there's a guy who's, who's a jerk about it. And so he basically got David mad, and David was ready to go in, and he was ready to kill the entire, entire uh, uh, family or, or group, if you will. And the guy's wife, Abigail, uh, came out, and she said, let's talk about this. Let's, my husband's an idiot. Probably not the first time or last time a wife has had to do that for her husband. But basically said, my husband's an idiot. Let's talk about this. And she made everything all better. So that's, that's definitely a situation. There could have been a lot of bloodshed happened that day. But because Abigail stepped forward and said, let's talk about it, she made things much better. Um, my personal example is I, I, I think about uh, my wife. We say, my love. You know, start off with my love something. It's like, usually when she says that, that means, okay, let's, let's talk about something, you know talk about it. So it generally goes much nicer when you start, because it does remind you that you are, you are my love. So you have to, you have to continue on that direction, and, and that puts a whole different slant on the whole conversation, allows you to talk about things much better. The next biblical example of work it out is called get help. Get help. First Kings 3 is the story I think of. This is, uh, if you recall the story, Solomon was sitting on, smart Solomon sitting on his throne, you know, some ladies were arguing about, you know, their, whose baby it was, you know, which baby had died, and Solomon made some decision. He goes, well, let's just cut the baby in half. The real baby's mine. So, oh, you know, so that, that, that showed, and everybody knew Solomon was super smart. But what these people did was they had, a, they had an issue, and they went to talk to somebody that was a lot smarter than them who could make that decision. 
So my personal example, I think about mediation, both professionally and personally. I've gone through mediation. Sometimes it seems like nobody's happy when you leave, but at least it's, you're mutually unhappy is, is kind of the joke. But the whole idea of mediation is you sit down, what are your concerns, what are your goals, what are your concerns, what are your goals? And the mediator, if they're good, they try to work it out so that, that everyone is equally happy when, when you leave. At least that's the goal. So the, the honor also asks you to list one or more strategies to stay on top of the slope. How can you stay on top of the slope? And again, you can answer anything you want to. I think about this text in Psalms 19. He says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I would suggest to you that if we can be Christ-like in how we respond, again, stuff is going to happen to us. But how are you going to respond? If you're going to be Christ-like in your response, that's how you can stay on top and you can, you can stay in the middle of your chart there in the anabolic section of our chart. Okay. Now, the last thing you have to do on your own, you can't do here. Uh, this is something you have to do with a buddy. It can be a, a brother, a sister. It can be with a friend. It can be with a parent or, or just maybe somebody you just met. I don't know. But uh, you have to reverse role play. So you have to reverse role play a conflict from your own life. So think about a situation in your own life and identify where you were on the slippery slope. You know, when a conflict happens, where are you on that slippery slope? Think, and again, go back to your cheat sheet. Look at all the responses. Where were you in that conflict? Where were you on that chart? And what possible work-it-out solutions, options might you try? So think about one that you were in a, a catabolic situation. How could you have responded differently so that you could make yourself anabolic? Okay? Everybody understand the difference between catabolic and anabolic? Shake your head. Awesome. All right. So I know this wasn't a typical sermon, but it's not a typical honor either. So we, we combined the two, and I hope you enjoyed as much or more out of it than you would most sermons. Hopefully you got something out of it. I, uh, again, several folks have said that, they, that it was really self-reflective, you know, and, and maybe caused them to think about how they respond to things. I, I know it, since I've started preaching this sermon, I respond to things a lot differently than, than I did before I, I uh, learned about this. So I, I, I hope and pray that you got a blessing out of this sermon. Thank you.